G'day. Hey. Oh, shit. Hello. Uh, How are you? Uh, Can you hear me? What's going on? Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, I forgot to plug the fucking Cancel thing. everything. It's all, all over. Podcast is cancelled forever. No more podcast. <laughs> I'm Matthew Buckley Smith, and you're listening to Slee Rickets. Thank you all for listening, and thank you especially to those of you who've taken a moment sometime recently to, to tell somebody you know about the podcast. If you like it and you know somebody else you think might like it, maybe somebody in your graduate program, maybe a student, maybe a teacher, or maybe just a weirdo from your neighborhood who also likes to complain about poetry, just uh, pass the word along. Let them know they might like sleeve rickets or at least like getting mad about various things I say. I will be in your debt. This week, uh, Alice uh, from the great podcast Poetry Says joins me again to talk about a few different things, among them uh, a recent New Yorker article about Wendell Berry. I can't even remember the the real name of it because her fake name for it uh, is all all that's stuck in my head. Uh, She also brought in a couple of poems uh, one by Jack Gilbert for called A Brief for the Defense, and one by Dorian Lux, or Lowe. Nobody, I, I have no idea how to say your name. Maybe Alice does. We disagree, and maybe we're both wrong. Uh, the Dorian Lux's poem is called Anti-Lamentation. And then we also talk about Ilya Kaminsky's poem, We Lived Happily During the War. Uh, spoiler, Alice thinks it's fine, and I can't fucking stand it. <laughs> uh, but we had a good conversation. We also ended up uh, uh, getting into a few other things, including uh, her uh, partner's recent chess.com addiction and um, what makes for a good poetry podcast and why there are so few out there. I also uh, <laughs> include a little a little rant I was originally intending to cut in which I I talk shit about another poetry podcast, but it ended up being it ended up being a little hard to cut around. And I figure I can just uh, ask all of you kindly not to tell those guys about about it, because maybe someday I will still try to get uh, one or both of them on for a conversation. Oh, and that cold open I started with, uh, I, I kept that audio exclusively because it was the first and perhaps only time I've ever caught Alice on tape saying good day. So I just couldn't let it go. So I I listened to your interview with Cassandra Atherton this afternoon. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Super frustrating. (laughs) Super frustrating. I mean, she was so good uh, when talking about gender, like really smart and measured, like reasonable and thoughtful about about gender, and also wonderful. On uh, she, you, she apparently teaches a class called Classics and Trash, and her whole take on that was terrific. And like I, I am, uh, I, I I love. I mean, first of all, I love blending highbrow with lowbrow, but I also am really 
glad for people to remember that anything we think of solemnly as great work today was almost certainly treated as accessible pop culture at the time, and maybe even treated as something disposable. Uh, so I, th I thought all of that was so good, and yet... And the, yet. The, the topic that she had been brought in for, that she was the expert on, that she had written a book about prose poetry, I thought she was terrible on. I thought, like, I thought, I came into that interview thinking prose poetry was a more substantial subgenre of poetry than I left thinking it. I was like, leaving it, I was like, oh, prose poetry is bullshit. Like, it, it was, I, I was just, like, baffled. I, I didn't. Like, I mean, like, 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 you know, I think like there's a prose poetry tradition. There's some really good prose poetry. And like, as with most traditions in the arts, it's, it's largely a matter of like one person having seen someone else do something. Say so like, Hey, there's sort of a, like, there's something interesting about the tone and the register that shifts a little bit when you move into this other shape. And maybe like, I kind of like what this guy's doing and I'll do something a little, you know, so you see a through line with Baudelaire and Elliot and Russell Edson and, uh, what's his name? uh shit what's the guy who did no planet strike the american guy um you see like there there's some good or like uh, uh joe winter author like there's some good prose poetry but she, like everything she had to say was about typography and i just thought like typography is typography that important like type, I, I think of typography as being like a like typography is is like a, a a disposable outer garment it's like like those those baggies you put over your galoshes when you walk inside so you don't get water on the floor like typography is so silly it just seems like like your whole you have a whole a whole like critical perspective that's like grounded on typography it just seems crazy oh boy we're we're <laughs> how, five how minutes hard in making, guys how hard am i making we're five minutes right in now. and matthew's just like <laughs> going for it um to be fair to cassandra please, please i went fair. i went into that interview very much skeptical of prose poetry i don't know that i had any very good questions for her so I wonder if, because when you actually get into the stuff she's written about prose poetry, there is, there's definitely more to it. I guess I didn't. It's, it's a whole book, so I assume, yeah. It's a whole book, yeah. So yeah. I didn't go deeply into it because my understanding of it is fairly surface level. I think that is one of the, you know, I said at the start of that episode, like I, I'm not an expert on many, many things. That's the disadvantage when you go to interview somebody who is an expert is that if you're not an expert, you just end up asking really basic questions. But yeah, I mean, good point. She she did point to the typography as one of the main features. Um, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> Withering diplomacy from from Alice. <laughs> Do you have any uh, any pot shots you'd like to take any, at any of my recent guests? Ah. Oh. Pot shots. Now, look, your last your, your last interviewee, um, you and he were talking a lot about how metrical formal poetry doesn't get a good run. This is Ahmed Majmadar, yeah. Yes, yes. And I've heard this before. I've heard it. I've heard it many, <laughs> many times. As a free verse poet, I guess, who has been dabbling a little bit around the edges of metrical formal poetry because yeah, they've yeah. been corrupted by the inimitable Joshua Megan. I think you have to admit that you've had enough time. 
Come on. How many centuries <laughs> have you had, guys? Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I... Sure, like, from a larger historical perspective, has, has uh, formal verse been the dominant mode when contrasted to free verse? Totally, absolutely. In fairness, free verse didn't exist for most of that time. Uh, so since free verse started existing, I, I do think that that it has become the dominant mode. And, you know, I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, to me, like the more interesting question in all that was not like, why are people so mean to formal poets? But, but like, so why, like, why free verse has become so dominant, like why it is so widely adopted and that, and we, you know, we talked a little bit about that and, and he had, he had some theories about it. Uh, you know, I, I am my, I mean, my primary skepticism or resentment about it today is just that, like, I don't think like, it's, it's my, like my, my dad would say like, why don't you, you know, I'm a, I love classical Greek architecture, but like, I would never try to like design a Parthenon today. Like, why don't you do, why don't you do something modern? Why don't you write in a way that like, if everybody's moved on, why don't you move on too? And, uh, I guess my, my response is partly like, well, the reason that we do modern architecture and not the Parthenon is not just because styles have changed. It's also because like we like things like windows and insulation and like lighter building materials that allow us to build higher and, you know, a hundred other things. Um, and, and maybe we do lose some, you know, just as we like lose something in classic car design when we move to, when we make cars safer, but like there, there is a clear advantage there. And the advantage with free verse, like, I don't know, is there an advantage beyond uh, having some airbags to guard you from embarrassment? Like, is that like, is there, or just like to make it easier? Like, is there, it's, let me put it this way. Free verse is not more popular because it sounds better. Oh, like, well, no, I'm not fired. saying, I'm not saying it always shots sounds fired. worse. Oh no, I'm not saying it always sounds worse. <laughs> I'm not saying formal verse always found, sounds better. Of course not. But it's like, it's not like there's an obvious musical advantage that free verse has. It's not like, oh man, that's shit. That's really nice. Like, I don't, you know, so if there's it sounds a, more like real people talking and saying actual things. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, the, I'd say like the primary aesthetic advantage Freeverse has is that it is closer to natural speech. I, like as as Austin said, like it's not like this is a civil rights issue. It's not like it's a like a major fight <laughs> to wage. Uh, but I just mm. think it's hard to argue that. Like it's, I think it's very easy to say, shut up, formal ver poets, stop whining. I think it's very hard to say, shut up, formal poets, you're wrong about this. Yeah, you're not you're not wrong. And look, I had to I had to concede what you guys were saying about the advantages of free verse being it's easier. Like it is easier. Holy fuck, it's hard to write in meter. Like and rhyme. Oh my god, it's so hard. Well, and maybe it's like it's more fun to wear yeah. like a denim jacket than it is to wear a tuxedo, you know? So like it's it's just by virtue yeah. of being informal, it's more comfortable in some ways. It's less, you call less attention to yourself. You're, you can go hang out. It's harder to hang out in a Villanelle. It is harder to hang out in a Villanelle. I mean, it'd be nice if we could, if there was just an, no prejudice though at, among yeah. editors and readers. It'd be nice if they could all just sit comfortably next to each other. I've been reading um, the, the journal that is very kindly sent by the editor of 
32 poems and yeah, really, really enjoying getting that glimpse into a totally different corner of yeah. poetry in the US right now. And yeah, very, very, like maybe no, no formal poetry in there that I could see really? so far. Well, oh, maybe I've just no, well, no, no, no. I, well, and I don't know which issue you have because I think he sent you some back issues as well, and he's yeah. like because mm-hmm. there's some trouble sending current issues for whatever legal reasons. But <laughs> yes, sorry uh, about that. But um, uh, no, I was just going to say that thirty two thirty two poems has a reputation among formal poets for being unusually friendly and open to form. Oh, okay, all right. So I just haven't got to them yet. Well, I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying like even in a magazine that's particularly friendly and open to formal poems, you might have none in a given issue. Mm. That that's the you know that's the the balance. Um, mm. But let's uh, let's get to what you wanted to whine about today. Wendell fucking Berry. Mm-hmm. What? How do you live with him? With the shadow of this guy just constantly hovering around. He's written 52 books. Yeah. This, the writer of this profile, I'm, I'm still reading The New Yorker, I'm so sorry. There's this profile in here, Wendell Berry's advice for a cataclysmic age. Yeah. There is no advice in this article at all. The, the article should other be than, called. Other than the sort of insane, extremely megalomaniacal advice, <laughs> which you will get if you go to the Wendell Berry School for Farming, or whatever the fuck it's called, which is be like Wendell Berry. Like that, that's the only be like Wendell Berry. the closest thing to advice you get anywhere in this article. Yeah. Yeah. It should be called My Dad Knows Wendell Berry. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. It, the closest it probably gets to advice, and this is not really much to do at all with poetry and it's a lot to do with politics so feel free to just cut this bit he quotes Wendell Berry as saying if two neighbors know that they may seriously disagree but that either of them given even a small change of circumstance may desperately need the other should they not keep between them a sort of prepaid forgiveness they ought to keep it ready to hand like a fire extinguisher so he's talking there about obviously Trump voters that he lives near. Yeah. He is not a conservative. Well, I mean, he is pretty conservative, but maybe yeah, not like as a, politically he's an conservative. agricultural conservative for sure. He's, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, like he, he tends to be very progressive on questions of race yeah, and gender yeah. and rights and yeah. Yeah. But, but I guess I just, I wonder reading a sentence like that, how much does that rile you? Because when I, you know, I read listen me, to read it me a the lot. sentence again. So it's like if two if two neighbors know that they may seriously disagree. So you're living next to a Trump voter, sure. but that either of them, given even a small change of circumstance, may desperately need the other. Yeah. So like there's a natural disaster, or whatever sure. you need some something. Should they not keep between them a sort of prepaid forgiveness? They ought to keep it ready to hand, like a fire extinguisher. And I just wonder how much people in the US have just moved beyond that, just gotten to a point where they're like, I don't care if I need your fire extinguisher. I'm not riled by that statement, except that I think I do think prepaid forgiveness is a remarkably ugly and postmodern construction for Wendell Berry to be using. But yeah, yeah I think that the the suggestion that people of different classes and political points of view would be better off in many ways if they if they 
lived closer together and had and shared communities and neighborhoods and like local interests. I think that's almost inarguably true. And uh, like, here's, here's, I'll say, uh, I don't know. I've read almost no Wendell Berry. I've, I know him mostly. I think his, his reputation at the moment is, is largely founded on what it seems to be founded on in this article, which is his, his perspective on agriculture and modernity uh, rather than say like the quality of his novels or his poems. Um, I, I have not read a Wendell Berry poem that blew me away. Most of them feel like tiny essays, some more sentimental than others. Nothing really like remarkable in the sound or the construction. Again, like I've read very little, but my perspective on him, my ill-founded perspective on him before reading this article uh, was mostly that I thought of him as a kind of a a monk or a saint where he like he goes off and he lives in a way that like would we all be better off if we lived like that probably but like very few other people are going to live like that and so like good on him uh but i think like maybe this is an australia us thing like we are so unlikely to show tolerance across political disagreements and we're so unlikely to give the slightest shit about the environment that the fact that he's sort of bossy and outspoken about both those things maybe doesn't rub people the wrong way as much over here because it's it's he's a little bit more of a voice in the wilderness no pun intended right right it's like an alien talking right. to you like it's it's sort of nice to know that he's out there doing his Wendell Berry thing because nobody else is and like mm. you know I, again like I've not encountered a piece of writing from him that blew my mind. And, and may, I'm sure there are lots of people who are smarter than I am greatly admire him. So I, I don't contest that. But like reading this article, I thought mostly that like he's he is surprisingly uh, more tolerant of the moral compromises one makes when, say, like helping out with a tobacco harvest mm. um, than he was of the moral compromises one makes when, say, living in a city. Uh, yeah. But I just thought, like, I kind of wanted to say to him, like, yeah, you see how you're, you have to kind of balance things and make a reasonable decision and take into account the lived realities of the people around you. And, like, you're not going to be pure, but you're going to generally be doing good things for people. Like, that's kind of the way most people try to live. I think most people are lazier than he is. But he's mm -hmm. just like, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's an old man who's got a very particular vision of things in his head. And, like, okay, fine. But I don't, I've not, like, I don't know, I've, again, like, I can't think of a poet I know of who, who could be, who, who has in my presence pointed to a poem of his and said, this inspired me. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't read any until I, I sat down to get ready to record with you. And I was like, oh, fuck, I was meant to have read some <laughs> Wendell Berry poems. And then I skip, skimmed a few. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, this is exactly what I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, I think this is interesting less for Wendell Berry and more for the fact that this article exists. Why do we keep going to this kind of thing? It's this weird sort of left-leaning self-flagellation where we're like, if mm. only I could be so good, if only yeah. things could just be simple, and then I could love my neighbor, and I would love to get back to the land, and then you turn around and order something off Amazon. and and, and Right. It's yeah, just indulging in, don't actually yeah, do you're just indulging in your guilt. And that's what all these poems that I sent you as well, I feel like they're doing the yep. same 
thing, just allowing you a little moment to, I guess, wallow, to just feel like, I yeah, am terrible, oh. aren't I? Oh, I'm so terrible. Oh, anyway. No, I'm to totally, totally with you there. Maybe the one other wrinkle that comes up in looking at Wendell Berry as an American is that he brings to the public conversation some very left-leaning politics associated with uh, a an attitude toward agriculture and technology that is that was kind of probably most famously voiced by a group of writers known as the agrarians uh, and they were associated with some very good poetry and some very questionable politics oh yeah uh, th yeah they, what, they were what was like that? there's a famous book called I'll take my stand um, which is mm -hmm. which is a book of some very smart essays some of which are also some very racist essays or th like I'll take my stand to give you uh, a <laughs> to give you some idea of the perspective of the writers is a line from Dixie right in Dixie land I'll take my stand oh. um, yeah which okay. sorry Dixie is the unofficial anthem of the Confederacy it was actually oh. written by a New Yorker but that's a different story so like like Robert Penn Warren who who later apologized for this essay and later like did a lot of work for civil rights and and wrote many many things and is definitely a multitude in I'll take my stand getting some pressure from his friends he wrote an essay called the Briar patch which argues against integration of schools the argument he makes is it ends up actually being an argument about industrialists using race to divide and conquer the working class but but he still says so let's pause integration and that's pretty bad so mm. like this this perspective that says hey let's go back to the land and be farmers was mostly associated especially among like men of letters was mostly associated with the agrarians and and so Wendell Berry sort of allows that to have a slightly different embodiment as a perspective and that's that seems less like less bad than good but it, again i think it's the response of the people of people like the my dad knew wendell berry person was that a man or woman i can't remember um the uh, author dorothy of the Wickenden, article yeah. dorothy mm -hmm. what's her name uh that's more that's that's just uh you know rubbing the hem of his garment and letting a little bit of his wholesomeness rub you know uh, the, the shine come off on you and to say wow boy he's great now i'd like a large frappuccino like, yeah like <laughs> yeah that's you're right like that's all the same thing as as the the self-flagellating poems the self-flagellating poems in particular that you pointed to do you want to talk about these at all i would love to yes they're i have to come clean though and okay. say that two of them have featured previously on Poetry Says, my podcast. Anti-Lamentation by Dorian Lowe, I've talked about twice, I found out. Uh, wow. And A Brief okay. for the Defense by Jack Gilbert. I had a guest on who, uh, actually my my first and possibly, yeah, one of the first times I ever got to interview a poet in the US. He brought this poem along and had reservations about it that interview was in early 2016 it blows my mind how differently the poem reads now mm. so, so, so and why, then we've why, also why got you sorry yeah go ahead and we've also got we lived happily during the war which is apparently doing the rounds again 
Yeah, yeah. I I only I know I had heard about that poem and people liking it, and then I only read it recently, and boy, it's irritating as shit. Um, <laughs> so so what is so? I'm curious about. Do you want to read Anti Lamentation so people know what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. All right. So this is Anti Lamentation, Dorian Lowe. I don't know when it was published. Yeah, uh, and like I said, I, I've had some time for this poem in the past, and I don't know that I hate it now. I'll be interested to hear how much you hate it. <laughs> okay, <yeah>. Anti-lamentation. <laughs> <laughs> Regret nothing. Not the cruel novels you read to the end just to find out who killed the cook. Not the insipid movies that made you cry in the dark in spite of your intelligence, your sophistication. Not the lover you left quivering in a hotel parking lot. The one you beat to the punchline, the door. Or the one who left you in your red dress and shoes. The ones that crimped your toes. Don't regret those. Not the nights you called God names and cursed your mother, sunk like a dog in the living room couch, chewing your nails and crushed by loneliness. You were meant to inhale those smoky nights over a bottle of flat beer, to sweep stuck onions across a dirty restaurant floor, to wear the frayed coat with its loose buttons, its pockets full of struck matches. You've walked those streets a thousand times and still you end up here. Regret none of it. Not one of the wasted days you wanted to know nothing, when the lights from the carnival rides were the only stars you believed in, loving them for their uselessness, not wanting to be saved. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I'm just like imagining how much you hate this. <laughs> You've traveled this far on the back of every mistake, ridden in dark-eyed and morose, but calm as a house after the TV set has been pitched out the upstairs window. Harmless as a broken axe. Emptied of expectation. Relax. Don't bother remembering any of it. Let's stop here, under the lit sign on the corner. And watch all the people walk by. Yeah. So how did you read this when you, in 2016? I read it as a good poem to offer to people who were first approaching poetry. There's very little work that it asks the reader to do. And I thought it had a pretty good message. I thought it did what it needed to do pretty well. Reading it again now, I'd probably chop it, chop the last third off mm -hmm. and just leave it as you've walked those streets a thousand times and still you end up here. She's basically mm -hmm. done at that point. She doesn't really yeah. need the rest of it. Um, yeah. But it didn't probably... seem too offensive to me at the time. Yeah, I think that, I think that's probably right. I think that that is a better ending. Yeah, I don't I don't hate this. I hate this poem least of the three. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't. I, it's This poem doesn't doesn't um especially in isolation doesn't drive me up the wall it's uh it it does a little bit of the trick that like sam harris types are always doing which is like regret nothing or you'll regret it like, like <laughs> free will doesn't exist so you better start acting like well like okay uh so it, yeah i mean it feels a little like it's it's um it's indulging in in a lot of should for being a poem ostensibly about letting go of you know psychological uh, uh limitations it you know i think it feels 
before it just becomes a, a litany, it feels mm. a, a little bit like a, a sort of a, a, a low calorie alternative to a Carl Dennis poem. But part of what I enjoy about his poems so much is that they, the argument progresses and, and shifts. And yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my and God. And this one like, kind of stays put and then starts to yeah. get a little sappy toward the end. It's that new allegiances thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, right, exactly. I mean, and, and Carl yeah. Dennis is partly, I mean, his poetry is, is you know, uh, I, lo I love Carl Dennis, so I, I certainly don't want to um, uh, dismiss him, but I would say, like, if his poetry is an imitation of anything, it's an imitation of Horace, um, who, who had similarly level-headed, but also meandering poems that sort of started in one place and ended in a very different place. And that's part of what I do like about the idea of ending the poem at you still you end up here that there's that doesn't feel as much like it's like it's advice has been rounded off and and come to a conclusion uh, but yeah, yeah, and also, yeah yeah sorry go ahead she's given you the advice by that point so. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so i think i brought this up as a as a getting into poetry here's an on-ramp yeah kind sure. of thing uh, yeah and, and that's true i think that's fair yeah uh, a lot of her poems that i've read feel that way like they're very, mm. they're perfectly inviting and uh, and don't offer m much friction along the way. And that mm. is not a terrible thing in the beginning. Um, okay. All um, right. Well, um, Dorian can Anti-lamentation's a little, it's not a great title, but they're fine. Whatever. Who, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Could, shouldn't it just be anti-lament? Yeah. Or just maybe just like not an eulogism. Like, like maybe just like a word or you know but that's fine uh, all right so we got some edits we got some yeah got some it's notes. like like a songs has a poem a wonderful poem uh on the back of her second book in lieu of all blurbs and the poem is called anti-blurb and like the poem is so good but then the title's so weird and dumb that like yeah i don't know the anti yeah i just let's skip it uh all right so all right. then you also sent me a brief for the defense by jack gilbert Yes, which I also couldn't figure out when this came out, but it feels a lot more important when this came out. Hmm. Um, it, was a it was published on a poem a day in 2016, hmm. in the summer of 2016. Hmm. Uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. That's interesting. Yeah, and that's when hmm. I did that that interview. Hmm. So maybe that poem wasn't at all significant to that guy. He just, he just <laughs> pulled it off. <laughs> okay. A brief for the defense. And another reason that I'm really interested in poems like these is that you just don't get these in Australia. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I, yeah, I want to hear more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Sorrow everywhere. Slaughter everywhere. If babies are not starving someplace, they're starving somewhere else. With flies in their nostrils. But we enjoy our lives because that's what God wants. Otherwise, the mornings before summer dawn would not be made so fine. The Bengal tiger would not be fashioned so miraculously well. The poor women at the fountain are laughing together because the suffering they have known and the awfulness in their future, smiling and laughing while somebody in the village is very sick. There is laughter every day in the terrible streets of Calcutta, and the women laugh in the cages of Bombay. If we deny our happiness, resist our satisfaction, we lessen the importance of their deprivation. We must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. 
We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. To make injustice the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. If the locomotive of the Lord runs us down, we should give thanks that the end had magnitude. We must admit there will be music, despite everything. We stand at the prow again of a small ship anchored late at night in the tiny port, looking over to the sleeping island. The waterfront is three shuttered cafes and one naked light burning. To hear the faint sound of oars in the silence as a rowboat comes slowly out and then goes back is truly worth all the years of sorrow that are to come. Yeah. yeah so I came is, up with a new yeah. theory for this. Okay, yeah, 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 I want to hear. I think that this poem is actually saying the opposite of what it sounds like. Okay. Can you elaborate? Especially so, so, when yeah, it's... Par the, paraphrase its, its seeming argument. Its seeming argument is there in the middle of the poem. If we deny our happiness, we resist our satisfaction. We lessen the importance of their deprivation. So if we're going to go around self-flagellating, feeling guilty and not enjoying things, then that is, as he puts it, to praise the devil. It somehow lessens the, the suffering of others. Yeah. I don't know if you, if you ever, um, uh, uh, it doesn't lessen the suffering of others, it, it diminishes the suffering of others. Diminishes, you know, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if you ever went through this in Australia, but there was definitely a period like in the wake of 9-11 when, when there were like a million, a million arguments that had the basic formula, like if we stop playing pinochle now, the terrorists have won. And this feels a little bit like it's, it's got some of that some of that energy to it. The terrorists of one is a joke in yeah. Australia. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So that that's familiar yeah. enough. Yeah. So so the, so that's what this seems to be saying. But you you think it's making an ironic counterpoint? Well, I wonder either that or maybe reading it now, it feels like it has to do that one eighty turn. Otherwise, it's just horrible. Like maybe he's saying the sound of a rowboat is not worth all those years of sorrow. We, nothing can make up for this suffering, actually. You can pretend that you can go on with your life and that you're ignoring these, these terrible scenes and, and dying children and all this stuff. And you can pretend that honoring your own delight and pleasure is somehow valuable, but actually it's, it's not. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a little like the, it's sort of like the literalizing of a, one of those hyperbolic expressions of enthusiasm people say with it's like, well, I'd give my eye tooth for blah, blah, blah. Or like I'd give my left mm -hmm. nut for the, and like, it's almost like it ends, it ends saying like, and all of the, the joy of that cheesecake was worth the loss of your left nut. It feels like, <laughs> well, that's not really how that rhetoric, like it's sort of like a device in the moment. That's not, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it sounds that way now, you know, where yeah. <laughs> constantly brought into direct contact live stream contact with suffering and so yeah. to turn around and say well it's really important that you enjoy your life though yeah it's like, you, you couldn't possibly be saying that surely right i mean i think i think i because up until the poor wound at the fountain are laughing together between the suffering they have known up until there the beginning of the poem could very easily be a satire of that perspective. Mm. 
Like yes, sorrow everywhere, slaughter everywhere. Happen. If babies are not starving someplace, they are starving somewhere else with flies in their nostrils. But we enjoy our lives because that's what God wants. Otherwise, the mornings before summer dawn would not be made so fine. The Bengal tiger yeah. would not be fashioned so miraculously well. Which is a little yeah. bit of a nod to um, William Blake, I guess. Yeah, so it feels like, is it a parody of that? Or it's not a parody, a satire of that perspective? But then I think I think that the, the sentence, there is laughter every day in the terrible streets of Calcutta and the women laugh in the cages of Bombay. Like, I think... I don't think that's ironic. I think that's yeah, straightforward. No. You're probably right. But it's funny because when I read it just then, I think, yeah, that line, but we enjoy our lives. It kind of comes off as casual. Like, yeah. yeah, because that's what it's God, it's the because that's what God wants part yeah, that feels yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, I mean, like a, a it's making fun of like a certain kind of, uh, do you know, do you all have um, uh, prosperity gospel churches in australia uh we probably do yeah like where people will uh preachers will say that if you get on the right side with god if you get get right with god then god will give you money and so you should give mm. me money to show that you're investing and in believing in god you're like just like a straightforward grift just the real most mm. despicable kind of you know ab uh, abuse of religion and this, yeah, like th that feels a little bit like we should we enjoy our lives while all these babies are being slaughtered because that's what God wants. Uh, yeah, I mean, this poem is sort of like the the opposite of the Ilya Kaminsky poem, and they're both yeah. sort of insufferable because this one this one is is saying for a poem that is about joy and laughter, it's so unfunny, it's so self serious, and it mm -hmm. feels like it's wagging a finger and saying we must enjoy ourselves it is so important and, and again like it that's an argument that maybe you could make a i wouldn't i was gonna say maybe you could write an art essay about it probably doesn't deserve an essay you could write a tweet about it can you imagine the backlash though if you jumped on twitter and were like i think it's really important that we go for brunch though yeah like again like the 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 problem with with making that argument even on twitter is like the, the truer expression of that argument would be going to brunch <laughs> rather than like stating it on Twitter is, is all is almost stating something else, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like let's have a fight. <laughs> let's have a pretend fight online. Uh, in the Ilya Kaminsky poem, we, um, we were happy. Let me find it. We were happy during the war. We lived happily during the war, which was published several years ago in 2013, but then is, been made viral again during the Ukrainian, uh, the, or not the, the, the war in, in, in Ukraine. I'll just read it quickly. This is pretty short. And when they bombed other people's houses, we protested, but not enough. We opposed them, but not enough. I was in my bed. Around my bed, America was falling. Invisible house by invisible house by invisible house. I took a chair outside and watched the sun. In the sixth month of a disastrous rain, in the house of money, in the street of money, in the city of money, in the country of money, our great country of money, we, forgive us, lived happily during the war. So it's sort of the, I mean, it, it is insofar as it has a, you know, not stated but heavily implied should, it's should is the opposite of the Jack Gilbert should. Mm. Like we should live miserably during the war. like seems to be kind of the argument and and as with the gilbert poem like i mean this one doesn't even bother to do much of the like image building or song weaving work that one might do in writing a poem it, it almost is just a naked argument 
it it's it's insufferable i think for mostly the same reason and maybe i i hate it even more in its virality because it's a it's a poem where like I, so you you asked a question in our in in our exchange earlier that i think i'm i want to hear what you have to say about it and I, i'm curious about it too okay. you asked this question um well yeah we'll, we'll go back a little bit and you, we'll start with what is this earnest simplicity thing you guys have going am i imagining it do lots of poets over there shudder at the mention of writers like the above what is the what earnest simplicity thing are you do you mean exactly well when i say that i'm not thinking of Ilya Kaminsky okay, as much as right. I'm thinking of Gilbert and Lowe mm -hmm. and Mary Oliver yep. and yeah Dorian, the Dorian Lux poem definitely has a little bit of the like you don't have to be good feel to it like Mary Oliver's well, yeah you do not have to be good poems that yoga teachers could read to you while you were in your final shavasana you know and you could mm. walk out of there being like ah I do not have to be good I feel so much yeah. better Yes. Comfort poems, comforting comfort poems. poems. Yeah, comfort poems. Maybe a certain kind of comfort poem because I think comfort has a lot of different can can comfort can look and sound like a lot of different things in in poetry. And I think writing writing things that genuinely comfort people is not the worst thing in the world. Uh part is so is part of the is part of what is is uh grating to your Australian ear is part of it that these poems seem to encourage complacency? Not complacency. I feel that they are dishonest. Okay. So, one well, of the yeah, one of the things that my partner and I noticed when we were in the US was that there's a lot of strongly worded enthusiasm for things that are kind of okay like, <laughs> sorry what do you mean <laughs> like this is fantastic mm. oh, 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 know, oh, like, oh yeah okay like yeah like just just so so yeah it's like right. yeah, yeah all right yeah, man yeah, it's, yeah. it's fine i guess you know but like <laughs> everything yeah. is so it's not just amusing it's hilarious it's it's not fine it's great yeah that kind of thing and and that meant we found ourselves doing a lot of translating a lot of like do they mean that they actually do want to see us again or were they just saying like it'd be so good to catch up again that kind of thing but in terms of the poems look for me one of the most exciting and interesting things that a poem can do is to complicate Mm. is to point to a rough edge to an, is to ask a question and not make a conclusion and i feel that there's a willingness in the american poetry that i have read to come to that conclusion to round off the rough edge to make a, a statement that comforts and in doing that ignore a few things there's a willingness to indulge in the beautiful I, I see that even in the 32 poems poems that i've been reading these lines that are just so gorgeous yeah. so gorgeous and you think like when the poet hit on that they must have been so happy but part of me is reading it going oh yeah it's very pretty isn't it mate yeah i think i think we're i mean we're pretty quickly infected with whatever you guys have got right like <laughs> so that 
that new school of confessionalism. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's in us. It's coming out. Um, and then you you also asked like n- not only what is with us, and, and the, the the Kaminsky poem is is not the same. But I think no, I... mostly because it's taking up a different end of the argument, and because it doesn't bother to be pretty or comforting. Whereas the, the Dorian Lux poem and the, the Jack Gilbert poem both have some prettiness and some comfort to them. The Ilya Kaminsky poem is just sort of this raw, finger-wagging, uh, or self-flagellating argument. Um, oh, we were so happy while people were being so bad, or, you know. Uh, I am baffled by the invisible house line. I don't know what what is an invisible house. Why were the houses invisible? Is that because you were just thinking about them while you like thinking about houses that were out in the world while you were on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Like, well, well, how are they invisible? What does that mean? Mm. Uh, mm. But it, I don't think it's all that different. In I think like its failures are not all that different. It's just that they're uh, they're taking up the other end of the they're taking up the opposing argument, and I think mm. people like to the reason something like this goes viral is is that people uh like endorsing an expression of their own people a certain subclass of people like to in publicly endorse an expression of self-flagellation uh and is a way to i mean the same here i'll go ahead and alienate a bunch of your listeners here like the same people who would like really really take up the fight and really make a big deal out of saying that you the expression hey guys excludes women or saying like it, it's really important that we make a land acknowledgement while also not giving land back to anybody um mm. like i think that that this is this is an expression of of a a, a socially uh, acceptable and sometimes even required self-flagellation that is extremely low cost to to the self-flagellator uh and that's and that's why this sort of thing is is popular why do people keep wanting poetry to change the world even though it's the least effective tool for the job uh, and i think the, the short answer to that is that the least effective tool is also the tool that requires the least effort to use yeah 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 no that's god you absolutely nailed it that's it and that's why it is so stomach turning when i mean look we lived happily during the war. I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not against this poem. I'm fine with it. It's, it's, yeah, it's a little bit confusing with the invisible houses, but I'm okay with it as a poem. But as soon as it gets thrown into that spotlight, and everybody's liking it and talking about it, it just feel, there's just this sense of like, okay, well, I really hope you did something else today about right. this and and I know that Dilly Kaminsky is like in his interviews about this poem he's like yeah yeah cool my poem's going viral I'm on the phone to my friends in Ukraine and sending them money and trying to organize that they have food and stuff I hope I hope that everybody else is too sure yeah. um and, and in that way it feels like if this is a poem that stirs people to meaningful political action uh great I do think from an aesthetic perspective it, it's sort of like you're sort of burning the poem you're sacrificing the poem to a maybe more important cause because I don't think it's successful as a poem. Like I think you're sort of, you're making a decision to do poetry that is not necessarily good poetry, but that has a good effect outside of poetry. And that's fine and good. But, you know, as Clint Brooks would say, like, like there are lots of other things that are worth talking about. Poetry is also a thing worth talking about. And it like, it, it can have its own purpose. And this is a poem that says that purpose isn't that, isn't all that important. So, 
over last weekend, maybe was it last? It was, maybe it was the Sunday edition. Um, Alyssa Gabbert published this uh, sort of odd multimedia um, piece on Musée de Beaux Arts. Did you see this? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, so well done. Um, I mean, Loved just it. like very, very, uh, very cleanly designed by whoever did the design for it. It's it's very like extremely accessible. Um, she's a, she does some goofy Alyssa Gabbard stuff in there that she always does. But I think overall, it, it's quite a good, uh, it's quite a good introduction to Mosaic de Mozart. Like I was, I was glad to to read it, and I'm glad for other people to read it, and for that poem, which is a wonderful poem, to get a little bit more attention. But it also it it made it it reminded me why poems like this and the Jack Gilbert are so lame, uh, because mm. those poems are saying, hey, here's the thing that happens in the world where. Uh, some people are suffering and other people are not suffering. And then they say, you should do this or you should do that. And the Auden poem just beautifully depicts that condition yeah. and arouses some feeling of tension or poignancy or irony that, that one has in response to that condition. The idea that we should do away with that condition or that we should we should totally ignore the suffering of others. I mean, like, I think it's it's all of the should coming in that feels so uh, so dumb. And that, like, the the reason I think, like, the, the Dorian Lux poem is the least annoying of the three is that it also seems to be the one that comes closest to evoking the emotional experience of living in this kind of tension. Whereas the other ones Absolutely, just seem yeah. much bossier. And, like, I think Auden, Auden's poem is a little cooler and drier that it's less about it's less about sort of a, um, stirring up the feeling that is in the you know the, the the plowman or whoever else but it's it's a it's a an exquisite articulation of this condition and then i think like another kind of poem that is very much worth writing is the dorian lux kind of poem which is your here's what it's like when you have one feeling and you have it and then there's another feeling and, and both of them have perfectly good reasons behind them but neither negates the other yeah here's what it's like so a poem ends up doing work much closer to that of a painting than a protest song and <sighs> that's so much that's so much better work for it to do otherwise now you have two problems you have a poem that's not quite working and you have a job to do after you've read it mostly that yeah, job is to yeah, feel yeah. bad because you're not going right. to actually do anything yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, yeah i did it, I, I did i felt that a little bit reading the like the kaminsky poem where he, he says even at the beginning we protested but not enough we opposed them but not enough and i kind of want to say like so what did you do <laughs> so so what what did you do that didn't work because it sounds like you you just wrote poems about it or you you posted about it like okay fine uh, can i read you this little bitty yates that i found yeah yeah do you know on being asked for a war poem it rings a bell i know i've read it but i don't have any real memory of it so please yeah please right. read it. i'd never i'd never come across it before i just found it yesterday it's only six lines i think it better that in times like these a poet's mouth be silent for in truth we have no gift to set a statesman right. He has had enough of meddling, who can please a young girl in the indolence of her youth, or an old man upon a winter's night. I don't know if I have read that. Yeah. Uh, I think he's so pretty right. Get in, get out. 
Yeah. Six lines. Yeah, I don't know. I have a hard time arguing with that. I mean, there there are Yeats, of course, wrote wonderful war poems, but they tend mm. to be poems. They tend to be lyrics that that get at some of the experience of living in a war, <laughs> or yeah. or like or loving people who were involved in a war, or having some you know felt relationship to the events of a war. I mean, they're, that they're not. Even like Easter 1916, which waves a little bit of a flag, doesn't, it, it, it's ambivalent about the politics. Poems may well affect change in the world yeah. on people, on individual people, maybe yeah. on whole groups of people. But the minute they try to, it, at best it's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. But we can't let it go. We, we just no. cannot let this go. Like as a class of people, poets, just anytime anything happens catastrophic cataclysmic or significant in any way we're like ah oh, yeah i need to apply my art to this thing let's just embrace irrelevance guys right well yeah and i, th I think that that's hard that's it's certainly it's hard for americans to do but like it's hard to say this is terrible i'm going to do nothing which is yeah. what we are almost always going to do definitely you don't have to do nothing you could do all kinds of things you you can yeah, yeah and just and, leave I, your and, poems I, and out of it and I and God bless people who do, mm. but there will never be a moment when there is not horrible suffering happening somewhere, and even if you devote all of your time to addressing horrible suffering somewhere, most of the time when you learn about horrible suffering, you will still do nothing because mm. you're going to be doing it elsewhere. So like the idea that like if you're going to spend much of your life writing poetry that you should also be reacting every time you find out someone's suffering is just fucking incredibly like geocentric as a way of thinking. I wanted to ask you Please. too like you're you're basically a year in you're nearly 50 episodes in how does it feel? Uh fine. It feels fine. What? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not sure how it's supposed to feel. I don't. Uh, do you I feel like, like you've I, achieved something? Do you still no, enjoy doing it? I do. I do enjoy it. Uh, I definitely not, have not achieved anything. Can I? Can I compare with you? Because I occasionally will go sniffing for to see if there are any other uh, brethren out there. Mm. And I I scroll through the. I'm mostly just through Apple podcast because that's what I mostly listen on. I will like put in poetry and then scroll through the gajillion different podcasts that are listed, including yours. But no, I, I really like I, I just, today I was thinking like they, I really, like I've narrowed it down to like a set of a ch a, like a checklist that I look for to determine whether or not something is worth because like, I'll like, you know, it's like I've discovered some things that way and I've reached out to some, to some people. But boy, there are very few the precious few good poetry podcasts. I mean, yeah, everybody just makes the same show. Yeah, holy yeah. shit! And that's what like yeah. I realize like my my also probably uh, closed minded criteria are a either a a an extremely austere or sort of weird or like anti uh, cover design. Like like what I don't want is like anything that looks pretty or nice or like it could also be a parenting podcast, you know, 
Oh um, Jesus, fuck! Yeah. And then and then like episodes that are longer than three minutes long because all those are but most of them and those are all just they reading poems. And so, then such a waste of time. Such a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then I, I look for the e for explicit, right? Because like just oh, just yeah. like that, people are willing to say a curse word is like yeah. You know, it's like which again, like I'm sure there are plenty of you know clean language podcasts that are that are great, but mm-hmm. it like that's my tender dog whistle I'm looking for. And then, yeah, I think it's mostly like in the title or in the descriptive language, if there's anything that suggests even the slightest grain of ambivalence about poetry. Like if it's anything Mm -hmm. that's not just pure enthusiasm or warmth for all of poetry and humanity. I found one that looked really promising based on the cover design and the, uh, the grittiness of the show description until I got to the last line, which was, and in this way, help all people, including myself, become a, a better servant to our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, oh, uh, yeah. well, that's, again, like there are, there are good, they're like good, there are good podcasts by Christians about poetry. Seldom <laughs> are they like good podcasts that are trying to use poetry to make everybody be Christian. Like that, that that's maybe, a, that's where, that's where that you lose me a little bit. Uh, yeah. Any yeah. anything else? I should be any any other uh, uh, secret signifiers? I'm, I should be looking for when I. Um, no, you've you got a great list there for sure. Um, but to be honest with you, I don't really. Part of me doesn't want to find another good poetry podcast because um, I like I don't want to know that I have to lift my game again <laughs> like, yeah. I'm pretty comfortable doing what I'm doing and so I don't want to find someone who's like doing something transcendently good but it's just the form the formula is so there in the same ways with parenting podcasts or whatever it's just like yeah. here's a poem isn't it amazing poetry's best because there's this all-pervasive thought that poetry needs help right. and needs to be defended and needs to be like boosted yeah 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 right no fuck. right I mean right which is like any any podcast about anything, any like review section, any like commentary on any subject that uh, that people take even remotely seriously can be critical and irreverent because the thing's not going anywhere. It's not and going we, anywhere. We, we treat poetry like it's a fucking make a wish kid. Uh, <laughs> you know, like it's the worst. I really don't listen to that much. I basically just listen yeah. to your show and I listen to a little bit of like. The London Review of Books one, because okay. they're very knowledgeable and like I learn things about British poetry that I didn't know otherwise. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like good on you for going out there and trying to find stuff. I found I found a few, and there's some that are more promising than others. But I'll like listen to a few episodes, and in most cases, it's just like well, they're just not very funny. Which is like, like you don't have to be funny, but they're trying to be funny, and they're not that funny. Ah. It, like my, the disappointment has been like I found a, a handful that are doing that are setting out to do a thing that I'm interested in and that is at least sort of sort of in the same neighborhood. But mm. my, my observation has been in most cases that they're just not very good at it. Mm. Uh, with, with like a, a possible exception that I've, I actually reached out to them and we'll see how things go that I, yeah, well, yeah, I, can, I guess no, I'm talking no. to you right now. I can tell you and then just cut this, but there's a, um, yeah. uh, so it's a weird little American podcast called breaking form that mm. is, two middle-aged poets who are like i hesitate to like i I, i'm just like struggling to find any way to accurately describe their persona other Mm -hmm. than just sassy gaze because it just seems to be so heavily what they are doing (laughs) like they're so much performing this 
particular kind of role, which is very like, and, and part of what's wonderful about it is that it brings a tartness and an edge to the conversation. Mm. It is in some cases like so weirdly graphically specific in discussions of sex and comparing poetry to sex that it feels like, all right, strong medicine, uh, strong medicine that like, isn't always, doesn't always land that like, or doesn't always, you know, maybe I don't have the, quite the right temperament or perspective to, to be like, to find it funny enough, but you know, like even the fact that they would like play a game where they would try to determine which poets were tops and which were bottoms and like, in doing, like <laughs> across the centuries and the genders, and so forth. right? Like, so like they, again, like they're going for something that I, I appreciate. Um, they are quite, quite, um, they are, they do get extremely pious about, uh, uh, about basically like any of the, anything that like the progressive left is pious about at the moment. Um, oh, yeah, and that so that sort of exhausting. gets a little yeah. stiff and takes some of the fun yeah. out of it. But, yeah. but they're like, they're, and they're relatively new. It's like the, the, just that they're sort of going after something like that makes me think like, well, I, re I, re I reached out to the guy and like had all this specific praise for him. And his response was very, he like responded really quick, quickly and nicely. And he said, uh, yeah, we're quite busy at the moment. Let's try back in the fall. This is like two months ago. I wrote. It was like the fall. Like <laughs> I might be dead, but like, what are you talking about? The fall, like motherfucker. Like I will take a bet on whether you will still be doing this shit in the fall. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. What the hell? Some people are so precious. Oh my god. Yeah. Maybe they want time to like figure out whether you're okay because you're a straight white guy. They want to know if you're yeah. like worth their time. Could be, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or 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 just. Um, uh, or I may just be too small time because that tends to. Be I don't the, get the sense that you're small time anymore. I get the sense that you're you're. But I think like like Jonathan has talked about the experience of going to a, a, a conference and wearing a name tag that that lists your your affiliation and your status basically, and that it is. Jesus. Yeah, it's it's a very straightforward process of like going around the room and having people read your name tag and make decisions about whether or not to talk to you, That's and that does feel gross. like like. The, the American poetry world is only a slightly muted version of that out in the world. Mm. It's like, it, it's different from that only insofar as people are not wearing name tags that are quite as easily legible. <laughs> but like, that is still the way people tend to operate around each other uh, in the American poetry world. Yeah, because everyone thinks they have a career. <laughs> That was my conversation with Alice Allen of the podcast Poetry Says. You can find her on Twitter at poetry underscore says. Uh, you can reach me at sleericketts at gmail.com or on Twitter at sleericketts where somebody will, <laughs> will answer your tweet or maybe Brian will just start a feud with another former guest. In any case, thank you all so much for listening. With any luck, I will be speaking to you again very soon. Until then. Hey, hey, hey.